eight o'clock crowd, they're, they're shoving donut holes and donuts all the time I'm teaching. About 30 minutes into it, they're like, yeah, yeah. So uh, sugar will take you up high. And I figure there's several probably that uh, need to be watching their sugar level. Not in this crowd. It's the 8 o'clock crowd. But they don't seem to be concerned about that. So anyway, no, I'm glad to be back. Uh, for If you're wondering if I'm the pe- teacher in here, I'm not. Uh, Brother Chuck and Brother Stewart have allowed me to come in the last two weeks uh, just to get to know some seniors because they said, my peeps are in this crowd. So uh, 8 o'clock, we got a lot. And this is a mixed crowd, and then 11's a, f- a full house. So uh, it was just to get a little exposure and me possibly start a class. And I think Brother Chuck said that I was going to, you know, he's cooperating. Him and Brother Stewart cooperate. Let me come. I'm not cooperating with anything. I'm coming after you if you're a senior. <laughs> he's in here. I'm probably going to turn my keys in as soon as this is over as well. So anyway, no, we, I may start a class. I may not, but it's, it's not about that. It's just providing opportunity. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity. have one quick announcement here. Uh, less and least ministries, prison ministries, are having a fish fry Thursday night at 7 at uh, Shady Crest Baptist. So if you'd like to participate in that, it's a fundraiser for them, and I believe the church supports those ministries. So that's an uh, additional announcement. Okay, so we're in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Uh, I went a little slow last week through 9, so I'm going to pick up the pace because I office next to Brother Stewart, and he said, I'll start in chapter 12 next week. So that basically means I need to cover 10 and 11, so I'm going to hit some high points in 10 and 11. You know, he keeps putting me under law, Brother Stewart. I just want to have the freedom to teach how I feel led, and he's wanting to tell me he's going to be in 12, but that's fine. No problem. I'm just kidding. He's a good friend. So uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10 uh, and 11, I'm going to hit some high points of that. Last week, just to recap a little bit, when we found out that... uh, there was God's sovereignty was at work, and that's what we remember from last week about God's sovereignty. One of the things we want to remember is God is always at work in the mix of circumstances. And I told you last week, the word sovereignty is just a big, fancy theological word that means God can do whatever he wants to do. That's what sovereignty is. So we see God's sovereignty in this passage of Scripture, as well as last week, we see that Saul has no idea who Samuel is, and Samuel doesn't know who Saul is. So we've got these two players on the field, and then you've got a lost donkey that Saul is chasing because his dad says, I need you to go find the donkeys. So Saul's thinking this whole thing's about donkeys. He's thinking, I'm just going to chase after donkeys. And God says to Samuel as he spoke into his ear, and we, we talked about that, that there's going to be a guy coming. He's looking for donkeys, but I'm bigger than donkeys, and I got a plan, and my providence and my sovereignty is going to rest here. So there's a divine, if you will, collision between several people, uh, Saul, uh, the servant, and Samuel. And you remember Saul, because we're going to talk about a new Saul this week because the Spirit is going to come upon Saul. But Saul last week was, you know, he was confused. He wanted to bail out on the task. You remember, he would have left to go home because the servant's the one that kept him in the game. Saul says, listen, we can't find the donkeys. And then uh, the servant said, do you think we might ought to go talk to the man of God if we're going to try to locate the donkeys? You think he might be able to help us? And Saul's response is, no, I don't think so. And so there's a lot of orchestration here of God's sovereignty and God's work. 
and seeing what's going to happen here. But the opportunity is the blessing was already in place, even though it was the people who wanted Saul as king, and God says, you know, I'll allow that, but still in my sovereignty, I'm going to supernaturally empower him, and we're going to see this today. So we see that the blessing was already in place, but God had to orchestrate the circumstances in his sovereignty so that the people could get in a position to where they would already walk into that which God had already ordained. And that's the thing I think about my life and my ministry and for you and me as believers in Christ, when we walk into a situation, we have to understand God's so sovereign that he prepared that situation and his will and his purpose to be fulfilled before we ever got there, before the foundation of the world. He says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So he has called us to honor him in our lives before we ever got here. And that's a beautiful thing. So we see how in this situation in the passage of Scripture, he prepared the position for Saul before he got there, and then he's going to prepare God's man for this position in the way that he's going to anoint him and the Spirit's going to come upon him. So it's kind of like this. There's a spotlight in his sovereignty in the way that God's going to work, and Saul's going to be the king. God already said that Saul was going to be the king, but Saul has got to walk into the divine spotlight to where he can wait on God because he's going to be waiting on his first task as the king in 1 Samuel chapter 11. So what we have last week is the old Saul. Old Saul was, Saul was not a, a leader. He was a follower, right? You remember? I mean, the servant was the one that was leading, not Saul. Saul was wandering around wanting to bail on the task. And one of the things about Saul, he, he didn't like the small stuff. He just wanted the big stuff. And we're going to see he got in trouble with the big stuff here in chapters to follow. But Saul was not a leader. He was a follower. But that's old Saul because this week you're going to see Saul's going to be leading an army. This is new Saul. So there's old Saul, there's new Saul, and then the difference is what happens in chapter 10. And it's the same difference that happens in chapter 10 for us. You see, what God did for one man in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, God does for every one of us who place our faith in Jesus Christ. He changes us. He makes us new. He takes us from the old person that we were, puts his spirit in us, and we're a new person. And then now we have the power to do what we could never do on our own. It's a beautiful story. Even though God allowed it and the people said, well, this, we want a king to rule over us, God says, okay, I'm sovereign in this. We can make it happen. But there's an element of waiting. There's an element of waiting in this particular passage of Scripture. So First Samuel chapter 10. We left off last week in chapter 9. You remember uh, Saul had to sit and fellowship with Samuel. I, I believe Saul probably had a hard time relaxing. And so the idea of sitting and then he had to stand when he went on the rooftop. He had to stand and he had to wait till the word of the Lord came to him. And then we have chapter 10. And I'm just going to read this part of it and get to the point. It says, then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head. So you wait for the word of the Lord, and then all of a sudden you get drenched in oil. That's basically what took place there. And kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, the donkeys which you, have, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and he's worrying about 
uh, saying, what about my son? So, you know, the donkeys in life, we, we worry about the donkeys. We do. We worry about those things that we can't control. There, we have fears and we have anxieties. And all of us, at times, we're chasing donkeys. We're thinking about this situation and that situation and this situation. And, and we're so focused on the donkeys, but God sees the big picture. And he sees what he wants to do with our life. And when we step into that sovereign place, the, the work that he's already prepared for us that's a good work that he ordained before the foundation of the world, we're thinking about donkeys, but God sees the bigger picture. And so God sees the bigger picture here for Saul. And in chapter 10, he's still having to wait. He's having to wait for the anointing. He had to wait for the announcement of the word of the Lord last week. Now he's waiting for the anointing. But God is orchestrating. He said, you're going to pass by. All right? Then it says, verse 3, Then you shall go on forward from there and come to Terebinth, tree of Tabor. There are three men going up. These are the, the, the three signs. There are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. Here's the waiting again. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen when you come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a string instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. It's like Samuel had a, a school of prophets, if you will. He had, he had a, a non-profit organization, but it was a school for prophets. No, you, you didn't get that. So... Anyway, he, he, and they would mix the instruments and the music. You see the instruments that are used here with prophecy, the speaking forth of the word. And so this is the intersection that's coming at this point. Now, Saul is not going to engage in his first task as king until chapter 11. But there must be something happened first, and verse 6 talks about that. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. All right? Now, don't miss that. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. So... The spirit on Saul, if you will. The spirit putting on Saul. That's, that's what that means. That phrase means the spirit of the Lord will, will come upon you. And you will prophesy with them and be changed into another man. And, and let it be. That's a song. Now, even 8 o'clock got that. And when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands... Now, here's a key phrase, for God is with you, okay? Now, uh, the Spirit put on Saul, and you're going to prophesy, and you're going to be changed into another man, and, and, and God is going to be with you. These battles you're going to fight, they're not your battles. God is with you. He's going to go before you. And then he says in verse 8, you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait. He's still waiting here. All right? Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So it was when he turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass this day. Now, uh, turn to chapter 11, verse 4. I'm just, I'm just going to fast forward a little bit and then I'm going to back into this. Chapter 11, verse 4. So God's orchestrating this plan. The rest of chapter 10... 
uh, we're moving along after this particular position here of uh, the, the Spirit coming on Saul. And it says, so the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul. The messengers had no idea that Saul lived in Gibeah, but they're coming to Saul's hometown and told the news in the hearing, because in the first part of chapter 11, uh, Nahash the Ammonite is going to come against uh, and encamp against God's people at Jabesh Gilead. And so, so Saul is just going back while he's waiting on God for his first task. He goes back to farming is what the text says. And it says in verse 11, in the news of hearing of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept when they heard about what was going to take place. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field, and Saul says, what troubles the people that they should weep? Now let's talk about the first principle that we see in this text of Scripture. It's about waiting on God. It's about waiting on God. So Saul, while Saul was waiting on God for his first task, he went back to farming. He wasn't idle. Do you know a lot of times in our lives when we wait on God, we just sit down and we don't do anything? While waiting for our time to come, whatever it is the task that God has called us for or to, His timetable is never our timetable. And a lot of times in waiting, people just sit down like an umbrella over them and they say, well, God, just I'm waiting on you. That's not what the word wait... The idea of waiting means you trust God. You're actively pursuing Him. So Saul was actually out farming. While he was waiting... For his first task as king, he was working in the field. So Saul was waiting for his first task as king. Now go back to chapter 10, because the key is that the Spirit came upon him. The the, the Spirit came upon him in chapter 10, verses 6, 7, and 9. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon you. So we remember last week that Saul was a follower. He was not a leader. You remember that. We remember that he was spiritually disengaged. He had no idea who Samuel was. Everybody in the nation of Israel knew who Samuel was. He was the prophet. He was the most famous Israelite there was. But Saul didn't know who he was, and he was spiritually disengaged. He also, number three, we talked about this, he had a wrong view of God because he thought he could pay God off because when the servant made the suggestion, hey, let's go see about God's man, he said, well, we don't have any money because he came from a wealthy family. Saul came from a wealthy family, and he thought he had, a, he had a wrong view of God that God was, he could pay God off. Because if you ever wanted anything done for Saul, you just pay it off. You have it paid. And God says, no, not only am I not going to take your money in this situation, but I'm going to serve you a free meal. You're going to be the king. So we see how he had a wrong view of God. Now, that's very important to understand. And then the fourth thing that we looked at, he was pretty negatively oriented. Because he said he came from the tribe of Benjamin. And we know that Ephraim was from the north. Uh, and we talked about Judah being from the south, but in between them was the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin had committed one of the most heinous sins in the Bible in the book of Judges that was four or five generations ago. And Saul was looking at that as we're the small tribe of Benjamin. And God was trying to get Saul to see something from a positive aspect, but he couldn't see it because neither one of those tribes would have accepted a king from Judah or from Ephraim, but they would have accepted a king from their neighboring Benjamite tribe. And that's where Saul was from. And so Saul could not see any of that last week. And so we know in his natural abilities, he had a lot of issues. And then, so before he's going to go take care of things in chapter 11, there's got to be a change in the old Saul 
to the new Saul. And the change happens in chapter 10, verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. The idea would be to envelop. Uh, Saul needed courage. He needed boldness. Um, he needed a spirit of confidence because he didn't have that. And so one of the things that we understand is that when God chooses us, he uses us. When he chooses us, he uses us. So everybody in this room, if you have trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, and you have cooperated with God in salvation, and you have trusted and depended upon him for the forgiveness of sins, God has a plan for you. He has chosen you, and then he chooses you in order that he can use you. So we should pray for usability in our lives. You know, I think about, uh, gosh, there's been so many, uh, since I've been here, which is only about a month, there's been a lot of funerals, a lot of funerals, a lot of people that are sick, a lot of people that are hurting. We've gone through the hurricane and the floods. There's a lot of unknowns out there. But what we have to understand is that God chooses us in order that he can use us. So we need to pray for usability. You have spiritual gifts. You have a heart for God. You have a a specific task and a specific call that God in his time has put before you. But you have to walk into that spotlight, if you will. You have to walk into that spotlight that's already prepared for you, that God has revealed to you, but you have to fulfill that by participating in that. So, So God is saying to Saul that I am choosing you in order that I may use you. So you need confidence. You need to have a settled peace in your life, Saul. You're very unsettled based on last week. We saw that he was very unsettled. So he said the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is going to clothe himself in Saul. And so that's what the text says. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. Uh, You know, when the Bible talks about in Ephesians, it talks about putting on the armor of God. We put on the armor of God. This is the idea that the Spirit puts on Saul. So it's not only an outer covering, it's also an inner covering, if you will. So he, he needed a new heart. He needed these old ideas in the natural flesh that he was to be replaced supernaturally. And even though it was the people's choice, God says, I'm sovereign over that. He's going to be king. I'm going to give him the supernatural ability. I'm going to have hit my presence come upon him as in an outer covering. So, But he would have an inner presence of the peace of God and the power of God and the presence of God as he would lead the people of God. And so a lot of times with, when Christ comes into our heart, people don't understand that we have power living in us. See, Christ in us is the hope of glory. So you can take this where the Lord would come upon someone in the Old Testament. He comes to live in us in the power of the Holy Spirit. So people may see us on the outside and they may remember us as being timid or fearful or full of insecurity and anxiety. That would be the old Freeman. That would be who I used to be. But they don't see the inner garment that we're wearing. The inner garment is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we have a power that's in us that's not of ourselves. It's of Christ. And so when you think about Saul receiving this from the Lord, it says, and he, tur- he turned into another man. It says he was changed, and that's what the Spirit does. God is with us. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you. This coat uh, was destined to rot on a hanger at Dillard's. I don't mind showing you right there. And Brother Chuck has a coat, I believe, just like this. Same color. We even talked about it. He, I think he bought his at Dillard's. He's as cheap as I am. And this coat was destined to rot. If I asked this coat 
if I say to this sleeve, sleeve, uh, raise up and wave to these wonderful people at the 930 hour here in Bible study, it's iConnect classes, not Sunday school. I got that. It's iConnect. Just a fancy word for Sunday school. Would you wave to these people? This coat has no life in it. This coat cannot do what I am commanding it to do until I put the coat on. Because the issue now is there's life in the coat. Watch this. So now, when I say sleeve raise and wave to these people, that sleeve can raise. Not because of the coat, because of the life that's in the coat. Here's the point. When Christ comes to live in us, he can do through us what we can never do on our own. There's an inner power. Yes, we are covered. Yes, we can put on the armor of God. That's putting an outer covering on. But when people look at our lives and they see fear and anxiety and worry and insecurity like we saw in Saul last week, they may see that as the outer covering. They may see that as the outer covering of the coat, but they don't know about the inner power that we have in Jesus Christ, right? Because the Lord's taken away my insecurities. He's taken away my fear. He's taken away my anxiety because all of those those characteristics naturally come from man. They're not a part of his character. So now he lives in me to do in me what I can never do in myself. So when we think about Saul, God chooses him so that he could use him. It's the same thing with us. God chooses us so that he can use us. I mean, we have a great opportunity at this church to be all that God wants us to be. Yeah, we had 37,000 square feet flooded, but God's still on the throne. He knew the storm was coming. And as Brother Chuck has talked, he could have stopped the storm. He allowed it. God may not always approve like in this situation. This was the people's king. But God says, hey, although I may not approve, I'll still allow this. His sovereignty rules in all situations. And so what we understand about Saul is he needed to be clothed. So when we think about our lives, God wants to wrap himself in our lives so that we can be all that God calls us to be because so we can have the power. But Saul had to wait. He had to wait because this, the Spirit came upon him. God is with you, and you're changed into another man. God gave him another heart. We see that in verse 9. But he still has this image of having to wait. He still doesn't go into battle right after this. There's some things that still need to happen in the rest of chapter 10. Let me give you some things on waiting. That's really the first point today. Saul had to learn to wait before he could fight. He had to learn to wait on the Spirit before he learned to fight. Do you have a hard time waiting? Thank you. So do I. We don't like to wait. But the idea of the, the, idea of the image of waiting, when Saul was waiting, it's the image of a rope. God had given him a message that you're going to be the king. So the idea is that Saul's got to hold on to the rope. When God tells us something in faith and we can trust him for his promises, it's like the image of holding on to a rope that we have to wait on God, but in the meantime, we're going to hold on to the rope. We're waiting on God, and then our hands feel like slipping. But here's the point, that uh, our faith is tied to our waiting. Let me give you a definition of faith. Faith is trusting God and depending upon God. That's what faith is. It's trusting upon God. It's depending upon God. It's, uh, if you will, faith is like this. You know, we always tell we always do this, or back in the day when we'd have prayer time at the church, we'd, Brother John would say, come, uh, anybody want to pray, just lay your burdens at the altar. So a lot of people come down, they come to the altar and lay their burdens, and we'd give them to the Lord. 
And then by the time we're walking, I did this, by the time I'm walking back to my seat, I already put the burden back on. The very thing I gave the Lord, I put it back on. That's not faith. Here's faith. Faith is not going, God, I give you this, whatever this is. Faith is going, I let go. That's faith, all right? So, so Saul had to have faith, but Saul also had to have belief. Now, belief means you've received the revelation. God has said something. In this passage, God has said, Saul, you will be the king. So he has to accept that and receive it. Faith is trusting God with the expectation that as you are the king, I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you and I'm going to orchestrate things in your life. So waiting is what faith does in the meantime. That's what waiting is. And waiting, he has to wait before he gets into chapter 11. He has to wait before he goes into battle. And we don't like to wait. So waiting always has a time element involved. It had it in this particular passage of Scripture. Because we always live in the tension of a promise revealed and a promise fulfilled. God promises something in his word. And then the revelation of that promise may not be fulfilled till later. And waiting has a time element. And so it's not that God didn't say it. It's that God said it. Saul, you're the king, but you need to wait. Wait for the Spirit to come upon you. Wait and have fellowship as we looked at last week. Stand here. You're anxious. You need to learn to relax. You need to trust me. So that's the idea. It's not that God didn't say he would be king, but God programs the elements of waiting in his time, and God is never in a hurry. Have you noticed that? He's not in a hurry. He is not in a hurry. So God sets the pace of his promises, and his promises are always woven together by the fabric of time. So that's what we have here in this particular revelation. Now, um, let me explain something to you here. And, and th- this is just a little, this is, this is personal for me because I've, I've had to learn to wait, and I'm, I'm very grateful to be serving here, but uh, I pastored in Tennessee for 12 years, and I served here as a student minister way back, back when the Rockets won the championship. I mean, that's, there's Aaron. He was in, you're in my ministry. I see that. There's a young lad in here. Yes, sir. And um, so uh, I had to wait on the Lord for, for the last uh, 12 years I pastored in Tennessee at a wonderful church, wonderful church. And then for a year and a half I took a sabbatical, and the need arose in my family's life that I needed to respond to a need that I could respond to and my wife Leslie could respond to by going to help my grandmother who lives in Kansas who has a pretty big wheat farm, a couple thousand acres, which I'm sure you'd like to hunt. At least brother, I know Chuck, brother John would. And, and so I, I, it, it didn't make sense to me. You know, Saul being king doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, and 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 so the idea is that I had to wait. We had to wait for God to provide the opportunity. So we trusted God. We 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 knew that that's what God had put in our heart. He revealed that to us. It was clear as a bell to us. It was clear by his spirit that lived in us. But the fulfillment of that, I did not know what God's timing was going to be. But 
finally we decided to step out on faith and quit grabbing the keys back and quit trying to figure it out and start faith in our way out. And so we just trusted God to provide the opportunity. So the first thing the Lord had to do was convince my grandmother that at 95 that it was okay for me to come live in her house for a period of time while we ministered to her because she thought I wanted the house. I didn't want the house. She got a little confused. But the Lord had to finally orchestrate that. There were a lot of things that had to fit into place. I got before my church and it was a wonderful situation and in the south, the deep, deep south where I pastored, I know this is the south, but the deep south, when you tell somebody what you you resign and you tell them why, they don't believe you. They just don't because they've had pastors resign. They come and they go. So I said, listen, I've been here 12 years. It took seven years for you to trust me. So I've got another five years on that. I'm telling you the truth. And so I told him exactly what I felt the Lord was leading us to do. We stepped out by faith and trusted God that what he revealed to us would be fulfilled in us in his time. We ministered to my grandmother for a year and a half. And I'm going to tell you what, when we went there, we were waiting and we were trusting. And we said, Lord, I don't know what the next step is. We have no idea what the next step is. But God was orchestrating and working, as we see in 1 Samuel, behind the scenes and putting players in position and people in position. So after we had accomplished what the Lord wanted us to do, and uh, it was a beautiful thing. I got to preach in nursing homes, and my grandmother, we became very close. And then it was time for whatever the next step is. And I didn't understand it all. But then I got in contact with Brother Chuck, Brother John, the church. And then the guy who I started interning with in 1984, Buddy Fortenberry, ends up retiring. Now, that, God orchestrated that in that spotlight. I had to step into that in 1984. And then as I'm 52 years old, I'm stepping back. But God's orchestrating and working the situations. He reveals something, but he fulfills it in his time. And he's never in a hurry. But he's always on time, in time, in his time. So when we step into that good work that he's prepared for us, he prepared that before we got there. We can trust him, can't we? Yes, we can trust him. He's a good God. So waiting, that's the first point. Second thing is in this text, you have to refuse to fear. You have to refuse to fear. And Saul was very, very fearful. We saw that last week. But when you fear the Lord, you don't have to fear anyone else. So if you look at chapter 9 of of 1 Samuel and you look at chapter 11, there's such a drastic difference. And the difference is chapter 10 when the Spirit comes upon him. So we have to refuse to fear. And what happened in this particular passage of Scripture is Saul's fixing to go into battle with no fear. His natural makeup was fearful, insecure, not a leader, but a follower. And now he's going to engage an army, and he's going to make some decisive decisions. And you say, what would you attribute that to? I would attribute that to chapter 10 when the Spirit came upon him. And what God did for one man in 1 Samuel chapter 10, he does for all people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. He changes us. We are different. We don't have to live in fear anymore. So fear always looks in two directions. That's what fear does. So if you're fearful this morning on something, if you're waiting on God to fulfill his promise to you and you're fearful, you're always looking in two directions. But faith never looks in two directions at the same time. It always looks for Jesus and sees Jesus. And another thing about faith and fear, faith and fear both demand you believe in something that you can't see. That's what faith and fear do. They both believe in something you can't see. So write this down. Fear looks at God through circumstances, but faith looks at circumstances through God. God gave Saul 
a new heart. So now, fear looks at God through circumstances, but faith looks at circumstances through God. He's got a new heart. He's going to go into battle with a new perspective and a new heart and a changed man. And he didn't go through a 10-step program on how to be a better leader. Let me tell you something, and I'm all for programs. I'm, I'm good if the 10 steps work. But sometimes we follow the program and we forget that we're following a person in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're following a person. It's not about a program. It's an act of God that Saul became king. It's an act of God that Saul was anointed and the Spirit put on Saul so that we understand that we don't have to fear anything. God does his work through us and in us and around us, and he's setting Saul up for the battle. Look at chapter 11. It says this, chapter 11, verses 6 through 11. It says this, then the Spirit of God, then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news. And his anger, now let me, let me just back up here because let me, let me go to chapter 11, verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we'll serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, on this condition I will make a covenant with you that I may put out all of your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. So we see it's an attack on God's people. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, hold off for seven days. We're going to try to find some people so we can fend this thing off, that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel, and then if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. That's when we read about the messengers coming to Gibeah of Saul. God's orchestrating that. Saul's going back to farming in verse 5, and then it says verse 6, Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. So he took a yoke of oxen, cut them in pieces, sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell upon the people. See, when you fear God, you don't have to fear anyone else. The fear of the God fell upon the people, and they came out with one man, one consent. When he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. And then they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. They lied. God's people lied. They're, they're not perfect. They're just forgiven. Do whatever you want. That's not going to happen. Okay, verse 11. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people. Now, here, think about the old Saul. He can't even find uh, he, the, the, the servants leading from behind. Saul's no, not a leader at all, but now he's got a new heart. Spirits on him. So it was on the next day, Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Let God, here's the next point, let God fight your battles. Let God fight your battles. Have you ever tried to fight battles that God says, I've already given you the victory? 
Think about that. Saul knew. I mean, here's a guy who last week we saw were all those things that I gave you last week. And now he's courageous. He has a plan. He's decisive. The people are following him. He's going to give all the credit to God. What makes the difference between chapter 11 and chapter 9? It's chapter 10. It's the Spirit. And it's the Spirit of God that makes the difference in our lives. Is that not right? The Holy Spirit that comes to live in us. I tell you, the best thing that we have going for us is that Christ lives in us. He lives in us. Man, think about that. We have close to 3,000 people that will be here today. But each of us that have trusted Jesus has the Spirit living in us. And each of us that God has chosen, He wants to use to bring glory and honor to His name. So the battles that we think we face, like Saul thought he was going to face, he let God fight his battles. So God goes before you in his sovereignty, in, in the f- situation of facing the battle, as Saul's leading an army. That's not the old Saul, that's the new Saul. That's what only God can do. And it says in the text in chapter 10, God is with you. So God sees the battle in front of you and me. He sees the battle that we're facing. And our tendency is we want to go around the battle. But you know where our victory is? It's in the battle. Because God's already been in the battle. So we don't move from a position of trying to get the victory. We already have the victory because Jesus Christ has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He lives in us. And the tendency is, just like Saul, Saul went into battle, but he knew that God was already in that battle, that it was already taken care of. We have a tendency to want to go around the battle and avoid the battle, which is therefore we avoid the victory that's already ours. So in Christ, we don't move from, we don't move to victory, we move in a position from victory. The victory's already ours. Let God fight your battles. You know, so many people, I remember this from Brother John. When I left here 20-something years ago, I uh, had a meeting with Brother John, and I asked him, I said, what do you attribute a long pastorate to? Back then, it would have been 30 years. And when the average stay of a pastor is two. In the South, you can cut that in half. It's about one year. So I beat the curve, 12 years. Brother John's going on 51 uh, years. But I asked him, what do you attribute a long ministry and pastorate to? And here's what he said. Don't respond to your critics. Let God fight your battles. He said, most pastors wear themselves out in responding to their critics. They don't have any time for ministry. Is that a good word for us? Don't respond to your critics. Listen, Let God take care of your battles. Let God fight your battles because the victory is already there. And so God says, you don't have to go to battle to get the victory. It's already been won. I've got it taken care of. And so Saul knew in in, in his new leadership, in the new era, the spirit coming upon him that God fights his battles. And all we need to do is surrender. All Saul needed to do is you just do what I tell you to do. You're now going to be a leader because I have placed leadership in you. You're now going to have confidence because I'm giving you my confidence. So all these things are a result of having the Spirit come upon his life. Let me give you a fourth thing here. Learn to forgive people and not get even. Well, that's a good one. It's a good reminder. Because look at chapter 10, verse 26. I'm backing into this. Chapter 10, verse 26 And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels, here they are, said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents. Look at what what Saul did. But he held his peace. 
He let God fight his battles. He held his peace. He didn't respond. You remember Joseph when he's feeding his brothers? After Joseph has been looking in the pit, after they threw him in the pit, Joseph finds himself in chapter 50 feeding his brothers, and he has an opportunity. Can I get back at them? Can I get even? And his dad Jacob died, and the messenger came, and the messenger came with the word to Joseph, and his dad's dying message was, forgive your brothers. I want you to forgive your brothers. And do you know that Genesis in chapter 50, where this is happening, is fixing to turn the page into the books of, book of Exodus. And so God prepares in the book of Exodus for deliverance. But you can't move into deliverance until you first establish forgiveness. And that's what was happening at the end of chapter 50. Forgiveness is important. If you think about that, you've got to... And, and Saul instigated it here. He, just said, he basically he said, I'll leave it alone. That's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He left it alone. Jesus had just washed and blessed Judas and washed his feet, and the very person that he blessed turned around and betrayed him. Oftentimes, I found in my life that God will put us in a position to get even with the people that have hurt us. He will. It's happened to me many times. You could cost them a job. Uh, anything you say could destroy that person. So you and I have to learn at that moment, are we going to be like the text says and just leave it alone or are we going to get back at somebody that did something to us? And so it's very interesting how God may put those people in a position because in this specific passage of Scripture, there were some people that there was some murmuring, there was some uh, grumbling against Saul. And Saul left it alone because the spirit, but he held his peace. In fact, if you look at chapter 11, verse 12 and 13, I mean, they had just slayed this army. And chapter, 12, uh, chapter 11, verse 12 and 13, then the people said to Samuel, who is he who said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Nobody's going to die anymore. We've shed enough blood today. Nobody else is going to die. Because those were his enemies. Not only was he fighting an enemy, he had enemies all around. We all have people that don't want us to succeed. We all have enemies, people that say we can't do this. But I think there's a principle here in battle that we need to forgive and refuse to fight back and let God fight our battles. Let God fight our battles. Let me give you the fifth thing here. The fifth thing here, and it's uh, celebrate what God has done. It's in this text, chapter 11, verse 14. And I'm having to hurry this morning because Brother Stewart needs to be in chapter 12. God bless him. So I'm going to let him start out in chapter 12. But let me show you how this, this Saul, how his, the spirit coming upon him, he's a leader now, he's not a follower, and he is going to give the glory to God. And that's not the old Saul. This is new Saul. Then Samuel, verse 14, Then Samuel said to the people, Come let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Fifth thing is, celebrate what God has done. We have a mighty God. He's a mighty warrior. 
He goes into battle with us, for us, before us. He's behind us. His presence covers us. And so when Saul, and when, when the victory was won, he knew where it came from. So celebrate what God has done. He steps into the battle and he gives us the victory. And then we turn around and we give the credit where the credit's due. Is that not right? Well, I tell you, it, there are so many churches and pastors and people in ministry, they want all the credit. They want it all to be about them. It's all about me. What can I get? Can all I get? Sit on the can and poison the rest. It's all about me. I am thankful to be in a church with a great staff who understands the principle that Brother John put into place many years ago. It's just about the king and the kingdom. It's just about following the Lord. And when we follow the Lord, we're always going to give the Lord the glory for the victories that he gives us. God says, I'll share my glory with no man. And Saul celebrated what God had done with the people. Do you remember, are you old enough to, are you old enough to remember a cartoon called Mighty Mouse? Hey, Brother Chuck, here's Mighty Mouse. He kind of, that little cape, if I can remember it. And then there was a song, here I come to save the day. Is that right? Hey, I should be with Bill Cole. And he would just, here I come to save the day. And the idea is, not that God's a mouse. I'm not, don't, don't leave away and saying that the last point he left us with was God's a mouse. No, here's what I want to leave you with. God's mighty. He's powerful. And Saul learned to understand that God could fight his battles. And when God led him into the victory that was already his... Then he turned around and he celebrated what God did in his life. He celebrated God's power. He celebrated God's presence. He celebrated God's people. I come from an area where Tennessee volunteer football is a god in Tennessee, a little G-O-D. There will be 120,000 fans that go to Neyland Stadium. I went once. I was done. I said, I'll watch it on TV. I wasn't a Vols fan. I'm still an Oiler fan, a Titans fan. I'm, I'm, I'm loyal. I am a, not a fair weather fan. I'm loyal. Okay. So anyway, they would, we would lose, the, the, the volunteers would lose, and they would come to church the next morning, and you would have thought Jesus had died and gone back into the grave because they'd be huddled up in corners drinking coffee saying, well, I tell you what, man, the coach, I don't know how much longer we can keep him. He, he, it's really his fault, and I'll tell you what. And we'd get ready, and the music would start. We had this pretty nice auditorium, seated 800 people, and the music would start. You'd see huddles of people all over around the auditorium still discussing the game, and we're to celebrate God's presence and God's power and God's goodness in our life. And it took 15, I'm not lying, it took 15 minutes to get people who were disappointed in a game to get back to cluing in that Jesus is still alive. It did. So a lot of times we, and I'm all for the Astros, listen, I I don't even have cable. I listen to old school radio. That's what I did last night. I, I'm fine. And, uh, and I'm all for celebrating that. But if the Astros bring you more joy than Jesus does, there's a problem. I'm just telling you. Uh, so celebrate. I, I want to encourage us as God's people. And, and God has done a work in our lives. And, and the Holy Spirit 
has not just come upon us. He, the Holy Spirit has come in us that we should celebrate what God has done. He has blessed us in order that we might be a blessing to other people. And so he's blessed us in such a way that he doesn't want us to keep that blessing. He wants us to release that blessing. We've received it from him. We've received all that we need in Jesus Christ, and now we release that. I close with this story. I went to Jamaica several times, and we did mission trips there. And we shared the gospel and we preached in the villages. And it's not like in a nice building. You just basically start in a, under a hut. You start preaching and people start coming. And if somebody's got a tambourine, they start playing it. People come from three, four miles away. And that's how you have church. And so we would do all that. But part of our mission trip is we would... Uh, uh, build uh, buildings for the people there. We would build churches. And so brick by brick by brick by brick, we would be laying on top of the foundation of the cinder blocks. We would brick in houses and we would brick in churches. And so we would get in a long line. The, the pile of bricks would be over here. And so I would receive a brick. But that brick was not for me to receive. It was for me to release. So I would receive a brick. I would release a brick. I would receive a brick. I would release a brick. I would receive a brick. I would release a brick. And then when we went back home and we got back in, the, uh, back in Tennessee, someone lived in a house that were built by hands from someone that was across the world, if you want to put it that way. But those bricks were not for us to keep. And I think in our lives, when we celebrate God's goodness, we receive the blessings that he gives us, but they're not ours to keep. They're ours to receive and to release, to receive and to release, to be li- uh, living proof of a loving God to a what? We receive it, but we release it. What a great opportunity we have. And I'm not just saying this because Brother Chuck's sitting there, but I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful to see what God's going to do. And I, I love his word, and I love God's people, and I'm thankful for the two weeks y'all allowed me to come. And next week it's Brother Stewart and Brother Chuck. It's their class. I'm just a visitor. So I'm glad to be here. Thanks for allowing me the opportunity. Let me pray, and then we'll, uh, I'm over time here. I learned that from Brother John. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word and thank you for your love today. We're so grateful um, for just looking in this passage in the Old Testament. Uh, we see how the old and the new are just like uh, one volume together. Uh, the old points to the new, and it's so beautiful to see the work of grace that you've done in our hearts and our lives. I pray for people in this room that are waiting. You, you, you have spoken to them. You have given them a promise, a word. And they're waiting in that time span of the pace of God and the promise of God. I pray that they could trust you and depend upon you. We thank you for what we've learned here in these chapters the last two weeks. And I pray that as uh, Brother Chuck and Brother Stewart move forward, that you would continue to teach us. Lord, we want to learn more and more about you so that what we receive from you, we can release to others by your grace, that we could be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. It's uh, 1044.